you notes. If you need a pen, I have a few with me. Um, Need one more? Sorry, you don't make it. <laughs> you didn't make the cut. Already? Yeah, that's why. Here we go. <laughs> so, I didn't know one. So, lessons from following. You need some pins? Oh, I do. Anyone else need one? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have another extra. <laughs> so I called it 21 Lessons from Following because John Maxwell has a book out there called 21 Irrefutable Laws to Leadership. So I figured out 21 is a good number. So I went with 21. Had to make up a few to get there, but we got it. Um, so I'm glad you guys came. This is, this is typically a subject that most people won't willingly go to a workshop on just because no one wants to do it. It's really easy to go on a subject that you're either excited about or kind of causes a warm fuzzy on. Following does not create a warm fuzzy feeling for me, ever. It's more of like a blowfish that shoots out spikes. That's pretty much how following sounds like to me. Um, and I was reading a book by John Maxwell. That's funny. Uh, and he talks about how a lot of times, you know, we, we never grow up hoping to become pre or vice president. You know, we don't ever have that, I can't wait to be vice president of America. Or I can't wait to, you know, to be the number two position in life. Well, we always grow up wanting to be the number one spot. That's just how we, we're, we, you know, we aspire for that. But for every person to be great, there's always people behind them that make them successful and make them great. And that's really what following is about. Um, you know, our greatest leaders have always been the best followers. They understand what following, they understand authority, and, and they have the character of a follower. And if you look throughout scripture, the Bible has a lot to say about following. Um, so they asked me to, to do a workshop on following. And I've, I've worked under a lot of different people in a lot of different situations in my life. I've worked in ministry, like I do currently, but I've also just worked in the, you know, the actual work world as well. Um, I've worked under really great bosses, and I've worked under really bad bosses. Um, I've worked under people that I enjoy being with. Uh, that we connected naturally, and I, I've worked under people that we, we don't have anything in common other than our job, <laughs> the fact that we get the paycheck, that's about it, and, um, and you know, as you guys go throughout life, you're going to kind of go in and out of all those situations, and so a lot of what we're going to talk about is going to come from my experiences. Um, these aren't, you know, this isn't going to be a theological study about what the word follow means. I'm not going to use any Greek words today. Um, I'm just going to tell you things that I've learned as I reflected over my experiences of working under people. And all of us work under people. You know, guys, someday you're going to be husbands. You're going to be leading. Women, hopefully someday you'll be married. You're going to be under somebody. So a lot of these principles are going to kind of come in and out of life as we walk through it. Um, so that's just really what these are. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're just going to dive into it. I don't expect to take the whole time. Uh, I really don't think anyone should ever talk for more than like 30 minutes. So I'll push it to about 45, but I don't expect to go much longer than that. So you guys can take a break, go use the bathroom before dinner starts. So that's my goal. If you have any questions afterwards, there'll be time for that as well. So let me pray and we can just dive in. God, I thank you so much just for the opportunity to, to um, share with one another our experiences and our lives. Father, we thank you for this week that we get to be here undistracted from the world. Um, I really am grateful that there's no cell phone service. I just want to pray for our, our time today that as we share about life that, that your spirit would speak. Lord, I do, I do pray that I would speak out of position of humility and not arrogance, Lord. Um, Lord, as I share my experiences. So thank you for this time, and we do pray this in your name. Amen. So the way I've done it is, is I kind of have it in three categories. The first one is just understanding authority, and there's really just two, um, two there. And most of them are going to be in the area of what it means to be a follower, the area of character. And then lastly, we'll look at how do we really become confident in the area of a follower. Understanding authority is, is really where following begins. Um, if you don't have a proper view of authority and how authority works and how God has designed authority to be a blessing, 
then, then following has no place because there's not a structure for it. So the first one is simply, we're going to start right away, is just understand Christ's relationship to God. That's really one of the first things I, I, for me as I reflected on it as, as being a follower is I, I really came to understand Christ's relationship to God. This verse isn't on there, but it's John 4.34. And what's going on in John 4.34, if you, if you understand the passage, is um, this is the part in the ministry where Jesus is, is the woman at the well. And, and Jesus has this very interesting conversation with her where he, he begins to share with her who he is, the truth of who he is, and why he's there. And in the midst of this conversation, she becomes to believe in who he is. And then she goes and shares it with the entire village, and then the entire village comes. Now, what's interesting is, is, is the disciples at the time are kind of watching this whole conversation going on. And they're starting to get very confused by it because all they, all, you know, because she's a Samaritan woman, and, and Samaritan women have nothing to do with Jewish people, and they, they don't really interact, and they kind of go out of their ways to, you know, to not interact with each other. And after this conversation and this woman leaves, the disciples, you know, they kind of have this uh, debrief with Jesus. And they're trying to ask Jesus about, you know, why, you know, why did you have this conversation? And then in the midst of this, they also start realizing, like, hey, we should go get some food. And Jesus makes this, this comment. is like, well, I, I've already been fed. And, and they couldn't understand that because what, what Jesus is trying to help them understand is, is Jesus was fulfilling his purpose by sharing the gospel. And in the midst of that, he makes this comment. He says, John 4, 34, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from finishing his work. You see, Christ had a proper understanding of authority. He doesn't say, from doing the will of me who sent myself, you know, finishing my work. He says, I've been sent by God to do his work. Other translations says, um, my food comes from the will of God. I really like the translations that say, my nourishment comes, because not all food nourishes, right? A donut from Krispy Kreme is not going to nourish me as much as vegetables, right? So I love how it says my nourishment. You see, what really, it, it, it filled Christ and, and, it, and it strengthened him by him understanding his role under God. There's a principle called the umbrella of protection principle. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Harold Bullock developed this idea. And if you picture it raining you, or snowing or sleeting or hail, right, what does an umbrella do? It protects you. It covers you from the elements. Right now, you choose whether or not you want to walk out there, or whether or not to use the umbrella. Right when you go out there, you can choose to use an umbrella, or you can choose not to use an umbrella. What happens is, is when we walk under authority and we have that umbrella of authority, we understand I am under and I am working under authority. I am protected from the ways of the world. I am protected from the dangers of what could happen to me, and that's the way God creates authority in our life. This one time, it's just a side story. This one time, um, we were having this huge rainstorm in Chico. And, and Chico never, it, we get rain, but we don't get like big thunderstorms. And we don't get hail and we don't get sleet. We just get rain all the time. And um, all the time being like, you know, three months. And that's it. Well, one time we're having this huge hailstorm. And we're talking like golf ball size hail is falling down. Really cool. And um, so my wife thought that was really cool to have a big piece of golf ball size hail. So she asked me if I would go out and get her one. We were standing on the porch. We saw this golf ball. I was like, okay, because I love her, so I went to do that. So I, I walked out into the hailstorm, and I, I reached over, and I hadn't been hit by anything yet. And I, I mean, I was like, I'm just going to run out there, grab a piece, and come back in. It'll be good. Right as I bent over to pick up the golf ball-sized piece of hail, another one drilled me right in the small of my back. And I came in. I said, honey, that hurt really, really bad. <laughs> And she just laughed at me and said, you're a, you're a wussy. Um, <laughs> later that night, I actually had a big whelp on my back uh, from the piece that hit me. But I did get my wife her golf ball-sized piece of hail, so I felt good about that. But I was not protected when I went out there, and I got drilled hard. And you see, when we, we, de we decide to go outside the bounds of authority, you're going to get drilled. And you're probably not going to see it coming. So we have to understand how authority works. We have to just say, okay, God, you designed this. And you also designed the universe, and you designed the cosmos, and they seem to work okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and go with you that authority is good. Christ understood that. 
If the Son of God was willing to work under authority, I think we ought to as well. So that's just the first one. The second one in understanding authority is this. God does not tell you everything he tells the leader. Now, if you're a follower, we need to learn that God is not going to tell you everything he tells the leader. Now, we, we, we live in society nowadays where that's just not right. No, we need to be all on the same page here. and We need to understand everything. Well, that's just not how God created authority to work. Think about the, the examples we have from Scripture. Did God tell Abraham and Sarah everything? Or did God tell Abraham some things and then trusted Sarah to follow? How about Moses and Aaron? We look at the examples of Moses. Moses got told a whole lot more things than everyone else did. And what happens is all throughout that 40 years, they were grumbling and complaining, but God continued to tell Moses more than he told Aaron and Joshua and the people that he was leading. The prophets and the kings. If you look throughout scripture, God tells the prophets a whole lot more than he does the kings. You start going into the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples a lot more than he tells the crowds. You see... God is going to reveal more to the leader than he does to the follower. It's the follower's role to understand how authority works and to trust the direction of the leader because the leader is hearing more. So that's the second one. So the first one is understanding Christ's relationship to God. The second one is just understanding authority is to understand that God is going to tell the leader a lot more than he's going to tell you. And we need to trust that our leader is hearing correctly. So that's some of, the, some of my, my glimpses of just how to understand authority. We're going to get into the developing a character of a leader now. And these don't go in order. These are just my thoughts. The first one is this. Uh, number three says, don't dwell on I want to be the leader thoughts. Don't we ever have those thoughts of I really just want to be the leader right now? Okay, choose to not dwell on I want to be the leader. The verse there, Third uh, John 1 uh, one nine. Now this is uh, John, and he's writing. He says, "I wrote to the church about this by di uh, diotrophies." Now listen to the way he's described: who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. This man was involved in a church, and the one thing in Scripture in the entire Bible that said about him is he loves to be the leader, and he refuses to have anything to do with us. See, when we start dwelling on these thoughts, we have to start realizing where these thoughts are coming from. And a lot of times they're coming out of the selfishness, they're coming out of an arrogance. They come out of these ideas of like, you know what, in this situation, I really could do better. And you know what, half the time, that's probably true. Half the time, you probably could do better. But guess what, you're not the leader. Um, dwelling on those thoughts never honor God because you're not the leader. So when you dwell on the thoughts that you could be the leader, you could be better, they don't honor God because you're starting to doubt the authority and the positions that God has given other people and not you. They don't honor the person that's your leader as well. You're discrediting them and you're, and you're, you're slandering them in your heart. And if you really want to get scared, do a word study on the word slander and see the end result of the slanderer. I'll just let you know right now it ends in death. Not like separation from people in, exi you know, in exile. I'm talking like physical death. The person that grows up and spends their entire life slandering ends poorly in life. So you really want to be careful when you start dwelling on these thoughts. Um, what happens when we dwell on the thoughts of, I really could be a better here, I could be a good leader, is what you're, what you're doing is you're, you're asking God who, who raises the dead. You have verses like Philippians 3.10, you know, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, you know, being conformed to his death. Okay, we're talking about the power that could raise a man from the dead and cancel sin for an entire human race for eternity, right? That's the kind of power we're talking about here. We're asking that kind of power to then line up against you on the other side of the line. And when the ball gets hiked, he's coming right at you. You're inviting that power to come against you. It could help you in life but you're asking him to line up against you. So we've got to be really careful. When you start dwelling on those thoughts, you've got to get rid of those. Okay, the next one here, number four, strive for unity. Strive for unity. The quickest and most direct way to ruin a ministry or to ruin a family or to ruin anything that could be good is to divide 
the relationship between the leader and the follower. See, guys, Satan is good at what he does, and he's been doing it for a very, very long time. And Satan's come to realize if he wants to destroy a ministry, what he's going to do is he's not going to attack the sheep. Sheep are, are dumb and, and useless creatures. Um, what he's going to do is he's going to go after the shepherds. And if Satan can cause a divide between the shepherds, then the sheep are helpless because there's no one protecting them. While the, she- you know, while the shepherds are arguing, the sheep are just defenseless, and Satan can then just go after them and pick them off. The quickest way to ruin a ministry, to ruin a Bible study, to ruin an overseas team, okay, to ruin a family, to ruin a business, is to divide the relationships between the leaders and the followers. He's not going to waste time going after those in a ministry if he can take it out at the top. Romans 15, 5 and 6, you guys have these verses on your handout. It says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of living in complete harmony. Um, I'm a musician by trade. Uh, I was a tuba player. I played in a wedding band. There's five of us, and we go play at weddings. And weddings are, are, are beautiful occasions, and they're very, you know, they're, they're, it's a celebration of two people coming together. And you would expect the music to also be that same type of celebration. And um, there's many times when I was playing that my music was not harmonious. Um, I was out of tune, and it sounded terrible. And I would believe that I was causing this person's marriage to get off to a bad start. Um, it's amazing how an out-of-tune instrument can really just cause people to cringe. Right? And it's just it's, it's painful for people to listen to. And um, that's what happens when you're not in harmony. It's a very, very interesting word choice there. 1 Corinthians 1.10, also Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in, again, harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, here's my question. Why does Paul have to encourage us to live in harmony with each other? What do you guys think? Why is Paul having to say, I appeal to you? Right, and appeal is a strong word if you look at it in the Greek. Um, why is he encouraging us to live in harmony? It's not natural for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not natural. Naturally, it's we difficult. fight each other for attention. It's difficult. Because you want to be the leader, and when there's too many people wanting to be the leader, that's the job. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, it's hard, right? It doesn't come naturally. So when you find yourself struggling, realize that that's good. That means you're just normal. Now, strive for unity. We're going to develop some more, and we're going to kind of get into how do we do that as well and some of these other points. But I just want to go ahead and put it out there as strive for unity. Um, Fifth one, here's one way to do that. Develop loyalty towards your leader. Develop loyalty towards your leader. One of my favorite pictures of loyalty in all of Scripture um, comes in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And um, so here's what's happening in 1 Samuel 23. Okay, so you have David, you have Saul. David, at this point in his life, is on the run from Saul. Saul has become jealous and bitter towards David's success as a military leader. And Saul is starting to realize that the people really like David a lot more than they like Saul. Saul is also starting to lose his kingdom as prophesied because he's starting to walk away from God and, and Saul is losing it and God is trying to give it to David. So at this point, David is on the run. Saul is trying to hunt after him. He's trying to kill him because Saul realizes if I kill David, I keep my kingdom. So this is what's going on now. Now also in the background of the story right now is Jonathan. Now Jonathan is Saul's son. Okay, Now track with me here. If, if a king dies, what happens to the son? Son becomes king, okay? So Jonathan is to be the next king. Okay, now we have to understand that as we go into understanding the relationship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan, by all right, is the next king in line for the throne. David is on the run from Saul. Jonathan and David are best friends. A lot of interesting factors here. Now let me read this verse for you. 1 Samuel 23, 16 and 17. Just listen to it here. 
Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. Who's the rightful king to follow Saul? Jonathan. What does Jonathan say to David? I will follow you because I understand authority. And I understand that you are going to be king. So where does Jonathan willingly put himself? How does he say it here? And I will be what? I will be next to you. If you want to have a picture of loyalty, and you want to have a picture of friendship, and you want to have a picture of what it means to understand authority, that's all three wrapped up in that one verse. I really encourage you to memorize that verse. It's kind of an obscure one. If people are checking on your verses, they're going to look at you and be like, First Samuel. <laughs> but as far as for me, that is the best picture of loyalty. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 says, Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them like a necklace. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you'll gain a good reputation. First, you develop loyalty. Then, not only do you find favor with God, you find favor with people. You see, David understood how that worked. And as he trusted authority, you see, there's a couple times on the run where David could have killed Saul twice. I mean, I'm talking like Saul was dead in his traps. And David refuses to because he understands authority. And he wasn't going to touch the Lord's anointed. You see, David got it. And he won favor with both God and he won favor with people. 2 Samuel 15, 21, this is another verse. This is later in David's life, but it's just a great picture how when David chose loyalty, God gave him favor and then gave him favor in the eyes of people later. So this is later on the life. This is a guy named Atiah. Atiah comes to the king and says, I vow by the Lord and by my own life that wherever you go, I will go, my Lord. And no matter, um, sorry, I was reading the verse wrong. Let me read it again. But Atiah said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life. I will go wherever my Lord the King goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. You see, David chose loyalty early in his life, and now later in David's life, someone's choosing loyalty to David. See, it's a circle thing. See, a lot of times we're so young that we think, you know what, I'm just not going to be loyal because I could be right. But we don't understand is what we are doing is we are setting a trap for us, and it might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow. But it might happen later, much later in our life. We're gonna, something's going to happen against us, and we're going to wish we had loyalty chosen towards us. Harold Bullock says this happens often in the life of our children. See, when we choose to rebel against God, and we choose to not walk in authority, and we choose to not understand this, it's not going to affect us. What's going to happen is it's going to affect our children. And we're going to watch our children suffer the consequences of choices that we made. So read scripture and count the amount of times that it happens in the life of their children. Thank you, guys. Glad you guys were able to make it back. Yeah. Welcome. How's Fresno? <laughs> Treated Great. you right? Awesome. Good. Very yeah. <laughs> what we're doing is we're going through 21 lessons that I've learned in leadership. And... Um, we're going to be moving on to number six, but I can give you the, the other f first five later on. Yeah. Do you guys need some pins? Do you have some? Okay. Great. Two pages? Just one. Just one? Should be one front and back. You got a faulty one. Thanks a lot. That's right. You had a, you had a dud. Great. So develop loyalty to your leader. Number six, okay, now this one, again, doesn't sound natural. Number six, publicly praise your leader. Publicly praise your leader. Okay, anyone that just comes absolutely natural to you, you wake up in the morning and the first thing that jumps in your mind is, my boss is the most amazing person in the world, and here's 21 <laughs> reasons why. God convicted me of this at this point um, one time. 
what was happening is, is I was, I was just doing some reflection and I, I decided I want to think of three things positive about everyone that I work with. And I couldn't do it. I could not think of three positive things about everyone that I was working with. And God convicted me, Tim, you are living in sin because you are refusing to see people for the way that I've created them. And I learned that I need to learn to publicly praise my leader. I need to encourage them. So learn to do that. Praise your leader. If you can't think of something good about them, then you need to do some, some, something else much deeper. You need to search your heart and ask God to reveal to you some sin. Because if you can't think of one thing and less three, uh, then you're heading in a pretty bad direction. So praise your leader. And tell them. Speak of them well, not only to their face, but to other people. Romans 12 talks about this, the idea of uh, honoring each other. It, it, honoring people comes with our words. It doesn't matter. If, if, if you can honor them in your heart, but you never say anything, it doesn't no good. You need to honor them. Praise your leader. Number seven, it is always, okay, this, oh, man, okay, wow, this one's tough. What's hard is I have a story for every one of these points, um, and some of them are tough. Number seven, it is always better to show respect than to be right. This is a lesson for following. It is always better to show respect than to be right. Um, again, this, this goes back to the idea of the umbrella of protection. I can tell you guys about what that is later. Um, there are many times when, in life, and women, I'm going to go ahead and speak to you for a second. You will be wives someday, which means you'll be following a man. Now, men don't see things as clearly sometimes as you do. We, men, men we, we live life, and God designed men like this on purpose, is we are like horses that have the little flaps over our eyes so that we can look straight ahead and not see what's going on next to us. The reason horses did that is so that when they were driving the horses, they wouldn't get distracted and, and, and veer off course and take the coach with them. God has designed men like that. We, we think future. We, we are heading in a direction, and, and we, men have to be that way. Women aren't. Women, okay, so here's a story. My wife and I were at a coffee shop one day, and we were talking. And, um, and we were engaged in a conversation. And so I'm, like, zoned in on the conversation. And people are walking in and walking out. And here's the thing. I, 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 if you were to ask me if people were coming in and out, I could answer yes. There were, there were bodies of flesh walking in and out of this coffee shop. Now, were they guys or girls? I don't know. Were there, were, were there elephants walking in the room? I don't know. Amy could tell you how many guys walked through, how many girls walked through. She could tell you what style of clothes the girls had. She even were able to listen in on the conversations that they were having as they walked by. I got none of that. <laughs> See, you, you can take in a lot more, which means at time, you might actually be right about something. But your husband is asking you to do this. What are you going to do? In that moment, you might be right. It's always better to show respect than to be right. As a boss, you know, and working in corporate America, there's going to be a lot of times when you're going to have a good idea, and you, you're going to be right about it, but your boss wants to do this. That's not the, you know, in, in a corporate setting, in a business meeting, that's not the time to say, you're really stupid. This is really a better way to go. Because that doesn't show honor to the position. It's always better to show respect. And a lot of times what that looks like for me is just holding my tongue. And I'm talking to the point of like almost biting it off. And then later, when it was appropriate, I would go up to my boss and say, hey, I had a couple thoughts. Can I just clarify something with you? Um, when you said this, I was wondering what you meant by that. And I also had a thought, what do you think about this? And my boss might be like, man, I never thought of that. Or he said, actually, I did think about that. And the reason we're going with this is because of this. But if I just blast him in a meeting, what's happening there? I'm, I'm inviting destruction on myself. Um, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work, now notice this, their work is to watch over your souls. They are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be a benefit for you. Okay, here's the thing. A happy boss makes my job a whole lot easier. That's just reality. If my boss is happy, then most of the time my day will be a lot better. If my boss is angry, 
and moody and upset, chances are I'm not going to have a good day either because I'm going to get everything that they don't want to deal with. Their job is to watch over me. My job is to give them a reason to do their job with joy. So show respect, okay? It's hard, but choose to show respect. And when it's appropriate, voice your opinions. Number eight, you're going to be hurt by your leader. This is just a reality of life. You are going to be hurt by your leader. You're going you're gonna to hurt each other in relationships and in marriage. You're going to be hurt by your children. You're going to be hurt by your best friends. You're going to be hurt by the dog that lives next door. Some people get hurt by ducks. Okay, um, pine cones, I guess, right? Yeah, even pine cones can hurt us, right? You're going to get hurt by your leader. It's just a nature of two people that are sinful working together. So develop a tough skin and a quickness to forgive. Um, a couple very uh, powerful verses in Scripture in Ephesians 4. 4, 2 through 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Okay, as I read that, what were the hardest parts of that passage to get? The part that you're like, if I could cross that out from the Bible, I would like to do that. Was it be humble and gentle? How about be patient? How about this one? Make allowance for each other's faults. What that means is my boss or, you know, the person above me will have faults. And as a follower, I'm to make allowance for those. I need to understand as a follower, my boss will make mistakes. There's going to be times when they will say something that will hurt me. There's times when they will make a decision that will affect me. And it will hurt. Make every effort, not just some effort, not just when it's on occasion or when it's convenient or when it comes naturally like that ever would happen. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. A lot of strong words in that. Again, why does Paul have to say those words? Why does he say this phrase, make every effort? It is not natural. It is not natural to do it. Make every effort. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Um, a good thing to ask whenever you've been hurt is this. Is it a sin or is it just a pet peeve? Um, if someone has sinned against me, then there needs to be forgiveness of sin, and there needs to be um, a clarification of the relationship. If it's just a pet peeve, then I probably just need to let that go. One of my pet peeves, um, I have several, are people that don't use blinkers when driving. It's one reason I don't live in Southern California. <laughs> um, I live in Northern California, where people somewhat use blinkers. I'm from Oklahoma. We, we put blinkers on a mile before we turn just to be courteous. We want everyone to know that we're turning in 10 minutes. Um, it bugs me when I'm trying to, I'm waiting to turn left and the car that's coming this direction doesn't turn a, a blinker on and then they turn right before me. That just bugs me because I wasted like 10 seconds of my life there where I could have gone and turned. Um, another thing to ask yourself is, is, is I'm, am, am I getting blocked from something that I really want? You see, when you get hurt by somebody, is it just because you don't like their idea or is it because they didn't like your idea. See, everybody likes their own ideas. Everyone's the biggest promoter of their idea because it's theirs. And when a new idea is introduced into the bucket and it's chosen over yours, I've been hurt. They didn't take my idea. My idea is obviously better because it's mine. Um, so we need to learn to, to really evaluate. You know, when I'm hurt, um, am I just being rejected? <laughs> Or is, or is there something actually done against me and I need to clear up the relationship? And that really leads us into our ninth point here. Uh, when you are hurt, check your emotions and your motives. When hurt, check your emotions and your motives. Um, why do you feel the way you do? Was something said or done to you unbiblical? This is something I learned to do. 
when, um, okay, say my boss comes up to me and asks me to do something, and I really don't want to do it. Well, learn to take their voice out of it and replace it with someone that you actually like. Now, if your friend who you do like would have said, do such and such, would you do it gladly? If the answer is yes, then it's not the request that you have a problem with. It's the person giving the request, which means you have an authority problem. Learn to take their voice out of what's being said or done. If, they, if your boss has an idea and you really don't like it, what if it was your idea? Replace it with your own voice. All of a sudden, you're like, that is an awesome idea. I would jump on that so fast. Then it's not the, it's not the idea that's the problem. The idea is, is um, you have an issue with the authority above you. So learn to take their voice out of it. Um, if someone else would have said it or done it, would you be as hurt? If you aren't able to forgive and move on, you really need to adjust the issue later with your leader after you've calmed down. There are times when, when you're going to get riled up, but that's never the time to deal with it, right? You, you need to calm down. You need to pray. You need to seek counsel and advice before, you know, about what to do. So when hurt, it's not if. I didn't put if on there. I says when because you will be hurt. When you are hurt, check your emotions and your motives. Number 10. This one's tough. Okay. You don't have to agree with everything in order to follow. Now, you might want to push back on me, but this is very true. You don't have to agree with everything in order to follow. Why? Because sometimes the follower doesn't understand everything that the leader does, right? We talked about that already, right? You might not under every, understand everything, but you don't have to agree with everything. You just have to trust their leadership. Because you trust their leadership, you can agree to follow, even if you don't have a full understanding of the situation yet. You might not agree with everything. If you don't agree, then when it's appropriate, ask for clarification. I'm not saying you follow blindly. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, if your leader says, we're all going to go jump off a bridge today, that might be a good time to say, hey, wait. This might not be a good idea. Um, you don't have to agree with everything to follow, but you do trust your leadership, and when it's appropriate, you do ask for clarification. Number 10. Okay, here we go, guys. Now we're getting into some, some big guns. Never entertain negative thoughts about your leader. Never, you might want to circle that like 50 times, um, never entertain negative thoughts about your leader. This is the number one thing a follower must do in my book. It's also the number one thing I'm really good at, so I've got some experience in it. Um, there's an example that happens in Scripture in Numbers, and this, this happens in, during the time of the Exodus. And this is uh, when you've got Moses as the leader right now, and then you have some people working under Moses, and you have Aaron and Miriam. Um, and there comes a point in Moses' leadership where Aaron and Miriam really have a problem with it. They don't really like what's going on right now. And instead of going to Moses and asking for clarification, they kind of just start to grumble over here off to the side. And they just kind of start developing their own ideas about Moses' leadership. And they start kind of saying things like, you know what, Moses is really kind of getting this whole, like, you know, I'm the leader of the people of Israel thing to his head. And you know what, he's just, I don't really know if I can go with him right now. Um, and here's what happens because of that. Numbers 12, 1 through 15. Okay, so as a result of entertaining negative thoughts, this is what happens. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to kind of pull off from a couple verses here. Verses 1 through 4 said, Now while they are at Heroth, Merim and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Don't we say that? Has God only spoken through my leader? Um, hasn't he also spoken to us too? Does, I mean, how, doesn't, don't we have that exact same phrasing in our life today? Because does God only speak through my boss? I mean, can't he speak through me too? Is, is my boss the only person that makes decisions around here? Can I, can I weigh in? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on the earth. So immediately, God does not waste time when negative thoughts about leaders is being entertained. He immediately takes action. He says, so immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He called all three of them and said, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. 
So all three of them went there. Okay, now jumping to verse 9, it said, The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. And as the cloud moved from the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. And when Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please do not punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. You see, God does not take entertaining negative thoughts about leadership lightly. Now, Miriam got leprosy out of the deal. Now, she was healed of it. They, they confessed of their sin. But, but if, if, you're, if you're wondering why life's going poorly for you, maybe it might be because you're entertaining some negative thoughts about your leadership secretly in your heart or maybe in the tent when no one else can really hear it. It's just you and a friend of yours. Luke 6, 37, this is what Jesus said about it. Stop judging others and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. Um, that scares me. That scares me a lot. So don't entertain negative thoughts about your leader. Okay, number 12. When tempted to complain, okay? When tempted to complain, focus on what you can be thankful for. Okay, when, when, we, when we are tempted to complain, which will happen in life, focus on what you can be thankful for, for all you have. For, you know, get the focus off yourself and back on God. Um, I've, I've struggled with this a lot in ministry because... I would really struggle with some of my, and I've worked in, in, in a couple different ministry settings under different people, and I would really complain about my boss, you know, and then all of a sudden I would have to just, you know, God would say, Tim, what do, what do you have to be thankful for? And you know what? I would be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm investing in someone's life right now, and they're walking with Jesus, and God would be like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why don't you, why don't you th be thinking about that instead? Or... You know, Tim, how are you, you know, how are you doing in this area of life? And I would just, I would find, you know what, I, I actually have a car. I, I, I have a house to live in. You know, those are some good things to be thankful for. You know, I, I have a wife who, who actually loves me. Um, that's a lot to be thankful for. So when, when we're tempted to complain, you know, write out a, a list of the stuff you actually can be thankful for. Because you have a lot. Um, Philippians 2.14 do everything without complaining and arguing. Um, that's not really any way else around that. That's an all-inclusive verse. I call that an all-skate verse. Um, you ever go roller skating when you're a kid? And um, I loved it when they said all-skate. That means it doesn't matter how good or how bad you are, everyone gets to go out there and skate. I hated it when they said things like, now for the people that can skate backwards, all the losers can now get off the floor because you're not as good as them. I hated that. Um, I felt rejected. But I liked it when they said all skate. That meant everybody. Um, this is an all skate verse for me. Do everything without complaining and arguing. There's just no way around that verse. You can look at it in Hebrew. You can look at it in Greek. You can look at it in whatever language you want. It still says everything without complaining and arguing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. These are an 18 familiar verses for some of you. Be joyful always. Again, you can look at that verse in as many languages as you want. It still says, be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in, again, what all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when you're tempted to complain, focus on what you can be thankful for. And, and just as much as you, you know, you just got to stay away from complaining and arguing. I mean, just shut up. Don't say anything. Just bite the tongue off. Because life will go better for you if you do. Number 13, okay, now this is a big one, especially for guys. How you follow your leader sets the pace for how others will follow you. How you follow your authority will set the pace for how others will follow you. Okay, so for how students will follow you. Okay, now the way that you follow your authority will set the pace for how your disciple will follow you. Now, are, is anyone in here discipling somebody you're trying to invest in your life, you're trying to help them walk with God? Would you love, in about a year from now, for them to start backstabbing you and slandering you and saying that you don't know what you're talking about and your ideas are all stupid? Because that's what will happen 
if you do that with your authority and the people in your life? Okay. Um, husbands. I'm talking to the guys here. You'll be husbands someday. You'll also probably be working under somebody. The way you talk about your boss at home will set the pace for how your wife will talk about you to your children. The way you talk about your boss will set the pace for how your wife will talk to your, your children about you. Do you see how this starts coming back around in life? Um, girls, it happens for you too. More importantly for the guys, but how about the way you talk about your husband to your children? That will be the way that your children talk about you. It's a generational principle. What you do in moderation, your disciple will do in excess. Maybe you've heard about that before. Um, what you do in moderation, so what you do, say, say you just, it's, you don't really complain and argue too much about your authority, but it's just a little snippet here and there. Well, the person under you will take that as a license to just basically tell everyone about how bad you are. You see, what you do in moderation, others under you will do in excess. How you follow your leader will set the pace and how others follow you. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says this, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Our speech must be beyond reproach. So that one's tough. That one's a generational principle. I really encourage you to figure that one out. Um, you're young, um, but it will happen. If you really want to understand that principle, ask your leader. Ask Martha. Ask Neil. Okay? They'll give you examples of this. Um, number 14. Okay, we're getting better here. Number 14, your job is to make your leader successful. I really don't like that one. Your job is to make your leader successful. So here's a question, and I really hope you take this question seriously. And you can ask yourself later um, when you have time to think about it. But here's the question. Are you okay if your leader gets the credit for your work? Are you okay if your leader gets the credit for your work? Who created the iPhone, the iPad? Who gets the credit for the iPhone and the iPad? Exactly. Do you think anyone else had the touchscreen idea? Yeah. But who gets the credit? Steve. But he's had a lot, a lot, a lot of people that made him successful. Your job as a follower is to make your leader successful. And if you're doing your job right, you'll come across that question. If you're doing your job right, then your leader will be getting accolades and praise for a job well done. What you have to learn is, is when your boss gets praised, that means you're doing your job right. Your job is to make your leader successful. Number 15, be teachable. Okay, be teachable. You can learn from anyone. There's times when your boss or your leader will be an idiot. Okay, but if your boss knows more about a subject than you do and you refuse to learn from them, who's the bigger idiot? If you refuse to learn from somebody because you have a problem with them, who's the idiot there? You're not being teachable. Guess what? There will be days when your boss will be an idiot. There's days when I'm an idiot and Amy still follows me. I'm not an idiot every day, but there's, day, there's days when I make some really boneheaded decisions. You have to understand that. Your boss is sinful, and they make mistakes. You're sinful, and you make mistakes. I'm really glad that my boss gives me grace when I spout off something and I shouldn't have in a staff meeting. I'm really glad that he just overlooks it and understands that I didn't think for a moment about what I was about to say. I want to be teachable. I want to learn. I want to learn from anybody. Even if I know more about a subject than they do, if they know more about a subject than I do, I really want to learn from them. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous person, and he will increase his learning. 
To be a follower, you need to be a leader. I mean, to be a follower, you need to be teachable. Um, Harold Bullock <coughs> says that teachability is the only shortcut in life. If you want to make it through life faster than everybody else, then be teachable. Because you will not have to make the mistakes that other people made that are trying to teach you those lessons. But if you want to live life the way they did and learn from your own mistakes, and you can, it'll just take you longer to get there. Number 16, be hardworking. Okay, so 15 is teachable. 16 is just be hardworking. Proverbs 10, 26, lazy people irritate their employers. Like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Have you guys ever been in a campfire and, um, you know, the smoke is great when it's not in your eyes and all of a sudden it shifts and it just starts to blow into your face? How annoying is that? I mean, it just kind of ruins the campfire. So what do we do? We get up and we move only to, for the smoke to then follow you. So then you go to the opposite side of it. And it's just no matter where I go, the smoke seems to follow. Um, and that's very irritating to me. Lazy people are like that to their employers. They're just very irritating. Um, Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. Enthusiastically. You know, I, I thought about this the other day. I said, why did Paul have to write work hard enthusiastically? <laughs> Again, it's not natural, and I just don't like doing it. Um, the truth about work is, is that there is always going to be a, some part of your life in work that is not fun. Amy and I are pregnant. We're having a baby in about eight weeks, and we're very excited about that. But I also understand that there's going to be parts of child raising that I will not enjoy. I will not enjoy changing diapers at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to enjoy disciplining my child for the fourth time that day on the same subject. You see, but there are going to be the joys of parenting that I'm going to experience as well. And I have to remember those when the parts of the job that aren't easy. Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. We have to ultimately remember that we're working for God. We don't need to look at how hard other people are working around me to get my cue for how hard I need to work. I think a lot of times we do that. We walk into a situation and we evaluate how hard is everyone else working. That's my cue of how hard I need to work. What we need to do is says, no. God worked really, really hard to save me and to give me an eternity in heaven. He worked hard for that. I need to work equally hard and give my life to my work because I'm working for the Lord. I don't need to get my cues from how hard someone else is working next to me. I work because God is, you know, working, you know, I'm working for the Lord. That's ultimately how hard I work. Okay, number 17. Don't fall into the trap of comparison. Don't fall into the trap of comparison. Um, there's two ditches that you can fall in on this road. Um, you'll either compare your weakness with their strengths, or you'll compare your strength with their weaknesses. Um, both are bad. Um, don't compare yourself. Um, remember that you're responsible for your own conduct. Galatians 6, 4-5 through 5 says, Pay careful attention to your own work. Uh, then you'll get the satisfaction of doing a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. You're responsible for your own conduct, not the conduct of others. Don't compare yourself. Okay, number 18. We're going to get through these. Um, daily practice giving God credit. Daily practice giving God credit. To be honest, neither the leader nor the follower have the right to accept credit. It's all God's. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Honestly, our work was all created by God. God created work. Read the Bible. Um, so neither one has credit to accept it. We just have to understand that we play a role. So practice giving God credit. I call this game I Spy God. Okay, now you get, anyone play I Spy growing up? Okay, now how does I Spy work? If I say I spy something pink, what does everyone start doing? Start, yeah, <laughs> they start looking around for something pink. Um, so I play this game, I spy God. And what I try to do is I try to spy things that God is doing throughout the day. Maybe it's, it's a cool breeze on a morning run, but I spy God because that's a nice breeze when I'm sweating. Or maybe 
You know, I'm meeting with somebody, and there's a light bulb moment. You know what I mean by those? Like, if something clicks, and all of a sudden, they're like, man, I believe God. That is awesome. I spy God because God is doing a great work in their life. To give credit to God, start practice playing the game, I spy God. Just write it somewhere on, a, on your car or something silly. I mean, that sounds like a stupid game, I know. But just write it down, I spy God. It's a fun game to play. Um, and just keep trying to see how many things God does. So those are character things, and there's more, but those are just lessons that I've learned. Um, the last three, and then we'll wrap up here, um, is this area of being a confident follower. Now, I loved what Strap said this morning about confidence. I mean, that was right up my alley. I love that. And um, as a follower, you need to be a confident follower. No one wants to have an insecure follower. It's hard to lead someone that's insecure. Followers need to be confident. So the last three are in that area. And here's the first one. Be confident in your ideas and the way that you're wired. You're needed more than you think. Remember, like I said, don't uh, compare. But here's the, here's the truth. If God wanted two exact people, he just would have cloned the leader. But he didn't. So be confident in your ideas and what you're bringing to the table. Be confident in the, your ideas in a way that you're wired. Number 20. Um, this is probably the most important phrase for me as a follower. Okay? Here it is. You are where you are because God placed you there, wants you there, and needs you there. I tell myself this almost every day. You are where you are because God placed you there, wants you there, and needs you there. And here's the truth. If there is a better... If there was a better fitted person for the job, God would have had them there. God would have used them. But there's not a better fitted person there, so you're there. You have to be confident that you are where you are because you're the best person for the job. That means your ideas are the best ideas that need to get brought to the table. That means your personality is the best personality that needs to be brought to the team. You're there because God placed you there, wants you there, and needs you there. And that works great when you understand authority and how authority works. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each one just where he wants it. A couple verses later, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you are Christ's body, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. You're necessary. And then 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 says, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God. Isn't that great? Confidence comes from what? Trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own, but our qualification comes from God. You get that? Your qualification comes from God. Why? Because God placed you there, wants you there, and needs you there. If you struggle with that, Look at this scripture and just repeat that phrase to you until those weird, insecure feelings fade away. And the last one is this. The best followers make the best future leaders. If you want to be a great leader someday, focus on being the best follower that you can. Because it's the principle of Luke 16.10. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in large. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you want to be a great, awesome, impacting for the kingdom kind of leader someday, then be a great, awesome, impacting kingdom follower today. And God will bring it, and he will reward you. But you're not there yet. Be a follower, and you'll gain the public praise of God and people. So... These are just some of my lessons that I've learned, and um, they're not everything. I know there's a lot more you can say about it, but these are just some of the things that I've taken. And um, I hope it was helpful for you guys. And, um, you know, don't try to do all 21 today. That will just, you'll just feel terrible about yourself. But maybe find one or two to work on, and then when you've got that one, work on the next one. And um, you will battle these your entire life. But as we focus on these, we become great followers. And then someday we'll find ourselves in a position of leadership with great followers under us.
because as a great follower, we understand what it takes to follow. And then when you become a great leader, you then understand what your followers are going through. And you're able to lead them better because you understand where they're going at. So let me pray and we'll wrap up. And then um, I think we head towards dinner. Lord, I thank you so much that you have spoken so much to us about how to be a great follower. And I just pray for us in this small little group right here today that we will become the best kingdom followers uh, on the planet. And Lord, in the future that we will become the best leaders that we can be and that we will truly impact the kingdom for you. I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for their lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, if you guys want